Let's pray again. We'll take just a brief moment of silence. You can pray to the Lord and then I will lead us in prayer. Lord, help us now. Uh, We thank you that we may not be uh, scholars when it comes to prayer, but you help us in your word and you you, uh, invite us as believers to even just simply say, help, Lord, help. Lord, we... Not only do we say help, but Lord, we say thank you. We confess, as Romans and Paul makes clear to us, we confess that apart from your grace, we are rebels and that our rebellion manifests itself in a lack of gratitude. We are ungrateful that the whole world by nature is not thankful And this isn't just a matter of uh, not observing a Thanksgiving holiday, but Lord, it is high treason. So Lord, today we confess our sin of a lack of thankfulness in general and a lack of gratefulness for specific things. And we praise you and we do thank you through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray now for your help through the Holy Spirit. We pray that the preaching of your word, not my word, of course, but your word, would be in demonstration of the spirit and power, not according to human wisdom. Lord God, we pray that your kingdom would come. And your kingdom has everything to do with King Jesus. And so we pray that the all awesomeness, the all, the majesty, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sweetness of Jesus Christ, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, let this be our power and our hope, our confession. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to Psalm 53. Psalm 53. I asked Aaron if he would read, uh, as, as he did, Romans 3, 5 through 8 which is part of our text from last week. Our text this week is also Romans 3. We will continue our series uh, through Paul's letter to the Romans, but we very much want to, uh, well, we want to start here, Psalm 53. If Eddie will help me with this, the scripture says, The scripture says, none is righteous. No, not one. You can just listen. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. What I just read to you there is Romans 3, 10 through 11. 
No one in his natural condition seeks after God. This is from R.C. Sproul. Listen to what he says. Seeking after God is the business of the believer. The moment we become a Christian is the moment when our quest for God begins. Prior to our conversion, we were fugitives from God. We fled from him. Churches today structure worship, teaching, and preaching toward the pagan to help him find what he is desperately searching for but just cannot seem to uncover, Sproul says. And in his opinion, he says, it is foolish to structure worship for unbelievers who are seeking after God when the Bible tells us there aren't any seekers. It manifests a failure to understand the things of God. If we understood the things of God, we would know that there is no such thing as unconverted seekers. Prol says there's no such thing as unconverted seekers. No one in his natural condition seeks after God. Again, where do I get this? Uh, not from myself. The scripture plainly says that we see today no one seeks for God. Let me say it again. No one seeks for God. Psalm 53. Look there with me. Psalm 53 says this. It says, if you'll glance down to the second part of verse 1, says they are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. What does it say there at the end of verse 1? There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand. Uh, it's kind of what we were just talking about here, to see if there's any who seek God. Boys and girls, you get the picture. If you're looking in your Bible at verse 2 or if you heard what I just read, get this picture Although God is not a man like us, God is not a man like us. Nevertheless, the Bible uses these pictures. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see, are there any, are there any who understand? To see what? To see, are there any who seek after God? Verse 3 of Psalm 53, Psalm 53, 3, David says, they have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Not even one. Not even one. You, do you, uh, you don't mean that. The line before, do you really mean what you say there when you say there is none who does good? Well, as if to uh, underline it three times or to put it in bold or italics or whatever type of font you want to use, he says, not only there is none who does good, he says, not even one. Not even one. Now, I left off part of this chapter 
Uh, for one thing, if you just glance very quickly at uh, verse 6 of Psalm 53, verse 6, by the way, I just want to basically do two broad things this morning, two broad things, and it all is making the same point, and I want to make that point clear in, this, in the message. The two broad things are looking at the Old Testament witness and the New Testament witness, making one point. You might already know the point. I'll make sure we know it as we go along. What is the message of Romans chapter 3 that Paul gives? And what is the message, first of all, briefly, of Psalm 53? Well, at the end of Psalm 53, verse 6, I just want to quickly point this out. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. He has been laying out as we've just read in verses one through three, this bleak picture of humanity, a man, male and female, man as foolish and fallen as it's been described. Psalm 53, verses one through three, man as foolish and fallen. And so therefore he cries out in verse six, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. And sometimes we might be tempted to just, tack something on to the Old Testament or to a psalm just to say, well, well, this ultimately points to Christ. But we don't have to just tack something on or, or force something here because verse 6 is actually speaking about salvation coming from God out of Zion, and that's actually what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Salvation came from God out of Zion through the atonement that Christ made he is the true and better Adam. That's what we were singing about, the true and better Adam. You are either in Adam or in Christ. You're either in Adam or in Christ. Romans 5, 12 through 21, consigns all people to one of two categories. And uh, here in Psalm 53, 6, we have the gospel. Well, I didn't read the beginning of verse 1. What does it say? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. You know, there is a, a thing that is a danger uh, to us. There is a thing that we need to be aware of and not just intellectuals in the world who don't believe in God. There are intellectuals in the world who very uh, sophisticated profess their lack of belief in the existence of God. But one thing that this passage also speaks about, my friends, is called practical atheism. This would include what we might call practical atheism. You know, actually, at the end of the day, especially if you take the teaching of the book of Romans, and if you take Romans chapter one, at the end of the day, and I'm not just saying this, there, there's actually no, no such thing as an atheist. There's, now, there is such a thing as someone who sees the world in which they live and sees creation and therefore sees the attributes of God in creation and suppresses the truth. Oh, of course, there's something like that. But at the end of the day, according to what God says, according to what God says, there is no such thing as an atheist, which is why we've said before, an agnostic is actually worse than being an atheist. 
But there is such a thing as a practical atheist, and we need to consider this. In my introduction this morning, uh, you remember Sproul talks about actually how, how foolish and how misguided it is for churches to gear everything they do around seekers. Because if the Bible has first of all plainly told us that there is no such thing as an unconverted seeker, then why would the church, why would the church of all places gear her worship services and everything she does around, as he used the word, around pagans? Well, let's be crystal clear. The burden this morning is mainly, is not, not mainly for us to speak bad about other churches. But the burden is that we would not dodge the teaching that we receive here from God's word, that we would not dodge it. We can be prone to practical atheism. Let me speak to that more for just a second. Richard Phillips says this. He said, the ancient world possessed very few formal atheists. In the ancient world, you don't have the, the new atheism that we have today. People who attempt to deny the existence of God. But David's statement in Psalm 53 about the fool who denies God involves also practical atheists. What's a practical atheist, brothers and sisters? These are people who would never think to deny the existence of God intellectually, but at the same time allow no place for God in their personal lives. You see, we're talking again about this issue of idolatry. If you say, because I, I, I just keep coming back to it, there, there's no such thing as an atheist at the end of the day, Romans chapter one. If you say there is no existence of God, then you will invariably replace the one true God with a God of your own making. It always happens without fail. You will reject the one true God by suppressing the truth because the truth is plain to see and you will hold it down. You will hold it down and you will prove, you will prove yourself a fool by suppressing the knowledge of God and you will worship. We all worship. We're made to worship. You will worship, and you will be a practical atheist. The practical atheist, one man has said, willfully organizes his life without reference to God. Willfully organizes his life. Oh, God, help us. God, help us that we would not willfully organize our lives without reference to God. We want to be, we want our lives and our church to be saturated with God at every point. Are you in any way a practical atheist? Well, unless you wonder why we're looking at Psalm 53, perhaps you've already made the connection. And here is the big idea. There is no one who's righteous. There's no one who's righteous. You could say this morning we're talking about depravity. You could say we're talking about total depravity. We're talking about sin. And we're talking about the, the great need that we have not to dodge this worldview-shaping teaching. This teaching that we get, we get this exact same teaching, listen to me, three times in the Bible. You know the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews, they didn't have exclamation points. 
But what did they do? They wanted to see, if they wanted to say, man, I am so happy. Man, I am really sad. What did they do? Repetition. Repetition. Like Isaiah chapter 6. What does the Bible want us to know? That God is love? Yes, yes. But the Bible wants us to know that God's love is his holy love. He is holy, holy, holy. So in the absence of modern day punctuation, they had repetition. And this simple truth, this simple truth that there is no one who is righteous, no, not one, that your mama ain't a good person and your daddy ain't a good person and your children and your grandchildren are not inherently good people. There's no such thing as a good person and a bad person. There is such a thing as doctors without borders. Well, therefore, there's good people. There's no one who's good. No, not one. And the Bible wants to tell us this. God wants to tell us this, tell us this not once, not twice, but three times. You know, it's interesting, Psalm 53, serving as it does as the basis of Romans 3, Psalm 53 is a virtual carbon copy of Psalm 14. You don't have to turn there at all, but you have Psalm 14, verses one through three, saying pretty much the exact same thing as Psalm 53, one through three. Why would that be the case? Well, my old dear buddy Charles Spurgeon says this, holy writ, he means the Bible, holy writ. The Bible never repeats itself needlessly. Therefore, there is good cause for the second copy of this psalm. Making a point by numbering, by the numbering of the psalms, Spurgeon said this, it's just playing on the chapters. He said, if our age has advanced from 14 to 53, we shall find that the doctrine of this psalm is more evident than in our youth. Psalm 14, Psalm 53. We're gonna look at Romans 3, but let me ask you to listen to this, Ecclesiastes 7. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. Listen carefully. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Is that up there? Take a minute, just look at that. Now, this is not one of the three times that I mentioned to you. This is, good. This is a fourth. Paul could also be drawing upon this. As in Romans 3, he's clearly quoting from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. But again, Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Pay attention to 21 and 22 as well. Do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. Man, does the Bible know human nature or not? Be careful. I've got a little bit bigger than normal ears. But uh, if your ears are bigger than mine or if they're not, be careful. The Bible says what you listen to, even from your friends. Because we all struggle with the tongue. All of us. James says, 
And, and, and James here preached about this a year or two ago from James chapter 3. Man, not many of you, let not many of you become teachers. We'll, we'll, we'll incur a stricter judgment. For if any man is able to control his tongue, he's able to bridle his whole body like we try to bridle a horse. Do not take to heart all things that the people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Ecclesiastes 7.22, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Romans 3. Romans chapter 3. Now, where we are going is two three-letter words put together that are stunningly beautiful and powerful. That's where we're marching, not today, but that's where we're going. That's verse 21. Prior to saying the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, uh, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, just prior to saying those words in verse 21, he says, but now. But now, and I will say, but wait, but wait, not, not just yet. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So sometimes, especially in these letters of Paul, he, he, you can pretty easily see what, what paragraph goes together. In the, and the paragraph that goes together today, the, the unit is Romans 3, 9 through 20. Romans 3, 9 through 20, where Paul wants to tell us Listen, where Paul wants to say, not only are Jews guilty of sin and not only Greeks, but lest you think, I'm using Paul here, lest you think I'm just talking about groups, let me be crystal clear. I'm talking about every single person in the world. I'm talking about every individual. Look again at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. You get this picture of all these mouths, including yours and mine, including ours, apart from grace, apart from Jesus Christ. And, you, you know, it's like one of these toys where it's just chattering. It's going so super fast. And the mouth is just going and going and going. And the law comes in. The word of God comes in and says, it's time for you to shut up. And it's time to see as he strings together these scripture after scripture after scripture, mostly from the Psalms. He says, let me show you that although it may seem bleak, listen, although it may seem bleak and although we may ask, and you're not crazy for asking this, we may ask, can you really say, I mean, isn't Paul just trying to make a point here? Can you really say that no one does good that's what God says. That's what the scripture says. And my focus and our focus is only two verses primarily. 10 and 11. 
Verse 10, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. I'll keep reading because it's actually verses 10 through 12 that come from Psalm 53 and Psalm 14. Do you see? Remember, of course. All have turned aside. Let me change from saying it negatively, Paul says in verses 10 and 11. None, no one, no one. Now let me say it uh, positively so that you will make sure to get my point. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. You know, there are some Christians, many denominations and Christians who, many of whom are our, my and our brothers and sisters in the faith. And I would simply say that in some sense, they would deny this teaching in this regard, that they would say, of course, we receive Romans 3. Absolutely Romans 3, none. There is none who is righteous, no, not one. Again, that's, that's the point of the whole thing today, sin. Not just Jews and Greeks as a group, but Jews and Greeks representing the entire world, representing every single individual. And these Christians, these denominations, my brothers and sisters in Christ would say, absolutely. But that doesn't mean, it cannot mean that a person couldn't seek Christ of their own free will and be saved. But that's part of, I would say, precisely what he's meaning. Not the only thing that he means, but that's, that's part of the package of what he means. And then you would have other people who I would say, just like the first example, other people who would practically deny at least part of this, know this category that I'm getting to would practically deny all of it. And that would be liberal Christianity. And when I say liberal Christianity, I'm not talking about Biden and Harris. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about Christianity that for the last hundred years has sought to make Christianity more palatable to the modern man. Surely we can retain Jesus. We can have Jesus because Jesus' life and his miracles were wonderful, but we don't have to have the miracles or the resurrection. And liberal Christianity, because in fact they actually deny that the scripture is the word of God, they deny this by flipping it on its head. Listen to what I'm saying. Liberal Christians and others, this, this represents in some ways everybody in the world. We say precisely what this does not say. We say people in the world are basically good and then you have bad apples like Hitler. And the Bible says people in the world are basically bad. And the Psalms say, David says, in sin I was born. You see, this group flips it right on its head. People are basically good. There are certainly some instances of bad. And there is good in the world because God in his kindness doesn't let us just run scot-free in our rebellion. He restrains us. So there is good. He's not denying that there are seemingly good things, but what is your motivation? What you do may conform externally, but do you do it for the glory of God? Do you do it from faith? If what you do in your life does not spring from faith in Jesus Christ, if what you do in your life 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you do not do for the glory of God, then you, like the rest of us, get on board. We're all in a sinking ship of sin. 
But the Bible says here again in Romans 3.10, it says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. And he gets into what I'm, he gets into practical application. His thesis, his statement is verses 10 through 12. And we will not spend much time on this at all. But just notice, he gets into practical application. And as he gets into the nitty gritty, what does he get into? Verbal sins. Verse 13, throat. Look at it. Verse 13, tongues. Verse 13, lips. Verse 14, mouth. To go in reverse order, mouth, lips, tongues, throat. If I could just give you one piece of evidence, Paul says, and there's plenty more. If I could give you one piece, think about a time that you've been sinned against from the lips of another. Think about the time that you have sinned against someone else with your own lips. Maybe not just with your lips, but from the heart. It is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. Christianity is heart religion. Christianity doesn't put a band-aid on externals. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross that we would be new creatures. I think I can confidently say that we are all this morning, we are all, Thrilled and excited with the recent appointment by Chapel Hill of Hubert Davis as head coach. <laughs> Hubert Davis is not a good man, though. Roy Williams maybe was. But. but this says, again, your grandchildren, your children, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from grace, there is none who's good, none who is good. This letter comes to believers it is of foundational importance to shape our, our worldview, how we think about the world. In tandem with Psalm 53, when wicked opponents come against us, we know that God's day of judgment is coming and we know that he has rescued us even though we do not deserve it. I close with this and I'll circle back to Sproul. How desperately was Paul searching for God while on his way to Damascus to destroy the followers of Jesus? The question answers itself, right? How desperately was Paul searching for God while on his way to Damascus to destroy the church? He was no more searching for God than I was when God stopped me in my path one night and brought me sovereignly to himself. I knew then that I did not come to Christ because I was seeking him. I came to Christ because he sought me. No one seeks after Christ until he has first been found by Christ. That begins the seeking of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's that? That's Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sin and mine, being raised from the dead. He is the righteous one. Seek first this righteousness because Paul is giving us our medicine. Receive this bad news and embrace the good news of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, help us in our minds to receive your word 
And perhaps we would say, especially in our hearts, not to dodge the teaching of your word. Help us to wrestle with this, that we do see goodness in this world. But Lord, let us not interpret your word according to our experience or our feelings. Help us as Crossway Church to interpret our feelings and our experience according to your word. Lord, please help us. If what you say in your word does not seem quite right, then help us ultimately, ultimately help us to ask, where might I be quite wrong? Lord, would you lead us for our joy in Jesus? Yes, for our joy. Would you lead us in your truth for your namesake, we pray. Amen.